This is the Hofstra Radio Alumni Audio Yearbook. Today is August 3rd, 2023. Please tell us your name and the years you were at Hofstra Radio. Sure. Uh, my name is Veronica DeSouza, and I was at WRHU from 2007 to 2011. Okay. What shows and programs did you work on at the station? Well, I started doing an overnight show because I was late to sign up, which is very on brand for me. Um, I think it was called Uncharted Territory, and it was kind of like, it ended up being at the time a mix of indie songs, but it was supposed to be uh, music that just wasn't on the charts, hence the the name. And Mm -hmm. I I was at the station at like 1 a.m., so I I think it went from like 1 to 3. I don't remember if we had two-hour shifts or one-hour shifts, but every other week, uh, I was there and it was a struggle, but, but I did it. Um, and then after that first year, I started doing common ground, which was all like punk music. Um, mm. and that was w- way more my speed and, and still is so. Okay. Very cool. Did you ever work on any of the, the news programs or community fair stuff or the weekend programs? I did not. So I was not a big news per- person. Uh, I was not a, a sports person. And then my interaction with the community programs was mainly during my time as a program director. And, mm. you know, whenever we would do a f- fundraiser, I would go, but um, I didn't actually w- work on, on any of those shows. Okay. Um, so you mentioned program director. What other titles or positions did you have at the station? That was it. Um, so I don't remember if it was the first year that they split the, the program director job into music and news or if it was the second year. Um, it's a little f- fuzzy, which is alarming and makes me feel old. But um, yeah, I was the, the program director of music. Um, and so I oversaw all of the music programming on the station, making sure people were filling out their logs correctly, uh, was the emergency contact for a long time. In fact, I, I found out, I think a few years ago that my phone number was still on the whiteboard and <laughs> in one of the studios and I hadn't received any calls. So I assume everything, uh, everything was going well. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, that, that was fun. And, you know, it I think that job, even though it was only for a year and and my time at the station in general, that job was so important in my pr- professional development because, and they don't really tell you this until you have to do it, until you become a manager, mm-hmm. but managing your peers and, you know, some of, some of whom are your friends, and then mm-hmm. also managing people who are who are senior to you um, is really hard, especially as uh, as a kid. You know, I think when I when I was PD, uh, must have been twenty or maybe freshly turned twenty one, and it was really really hard, and it was a a challenge to sort of have to you know be a leader and a manager, but feel like I'm on the same le- level as the people that I'm managing. Um, Mm -hmm. and that, you know, that was a total game changer for me. And I learned so much. Um, and I think it was how I was able to sort of rise the ranks to becoming a manager myself in like the quote unquote real world. Mm -hmm. Um, I took away a lot from that job. Yeah. It is a strange phenomenon where you have to make decisions about what shows are on or listening to people's air checks. And then you say, well, let's go out to eat or let's go, you know, do something fun. And it's, it's a difficult thing to, to manage, but, uh, I imagine you had some good guidance, uh, from station management. 
Oh yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think I spent a lot of time in John's office, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. Bruce and John were, were the main authority figures during my time there. And, and obviously Ed as well. But again, I, I wasn't big on, on the news or sports side of things at the time. Um, so I was camped out in John's office all the time. I'm sure I was a huge pain in his ass and in Bruce's as well. I was kind of, I was kind of a little snarky, snarky, uh, kid in college. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, John, I, I love John. His, at the time, his background really spoke to me. He, he worked at hot 97 and, um, you know, he was running operations and he just like, he was like, in the mix in a lot of things. Um, and I always loved how scrappy he was too. And, you know, he still is in a lot of ways. And I think he instilled a lot of that in me. Um, he, he taught me a lot about how to translate my skills to many different jobs and to not mm-hmm. pigeonhole myself. Um, and I think, you know, when, when you work in radio, it's important to be able to do a lot of things because, you know, it's not exactly the fastest growing industry no. in the world. Um, so that I, I think that advice and that that skill uh, was super helpful at the start of my career. Um, and I've definitely continued to I- iterate on that. Um, you know, I started my professional career in radio and then, you know, went, went on to di- digital media. And now I'm doing Internet stuff at a radio station. Um, so it's really I've, I've come full <laughs> Mm-hmm. At this point. Okay. Well, let's get back to the beginning of your career at Hofstra Radio. This is a two-part question uh, and answer it however it makes sense to you, but I like to ask them together. So what was it that first brought you to the station? Mm-hmm. And then if you could describe for those of us who weren't there at the same time, what was the station like? Do you remember meeting people? What was the office or studios like? What was going on when you first showed up? Yeah. So I, I came to Hofstra for WRHU. Um, When I was a teen, the the radio and specifically K-Rock, I don't know if you remember Mm -hmm. 92.3 K-Rock, it was very important to me. I liked a style of music that wasn't really accessible um, to me as like, you know, top 40 was. Um, so I would record a lot of it off of the the radio. Um, and this was before Spotify, obviously, and even before, you know, the short lived period of time where you could illegally <laughs> download yeah. any song you wanted online. Um, and so I, I had a real love of music. And I'm seeing, you know, I, I couldn't play music, I couldn't write music, I definitely can't sing, I shouldn't sing. Um, but I, I wanted to be music adjacent in some way. And, you know, in listening to the radio, I was like, someone's picking these songs. Like someone is arranging this. Someone's in charge of this. Um, and I, I wanted to be the person who picked the songs and who ran the shows. And, and that is honestly how I approached it. You know, I, I was a kid. Um, and so I decided to see what it would take to pursue that as a career. Um, obviously, my parents were very confused, um, but no, they kind of let, let me run with it. Um, I looked at a ton of colleges and at the time it was like a, a vague sort of communications degree or like mass media studies. The internet was still new. And I think like journalism was changing. So anyway, I uh, narrowed it down to, to, to Hofstra um, when we did the tour and I saw the station and it was not an online only sandbox 
it was a real working radio station. And I was going to get to learn all the stuff and touch all the stuff. And so I think as soon as I set my, my eyes on that, I was like, I have to come here. I have to be here. Um, and and e- even on the like kind of the greater Hofstra tour, your stop at the station is very like, you know, it's it's brief, but also serious. They're like, you have to take a class and there was a test and this is real and serious and important. And I was all in. Um, and so when I got there and, you know, I did the class and I t- took the test and um, I was in, and I felt so good. What it felt like to be there, like it felt like such a big accomplishment and it felt, you know, it quickly felt like home um, to be able to stroll by and, and, you know, see a a friend in the office and go in and hang out or, you know, to sit in on someone's show um, or to spend any amount of time in the various uh, storage rooms where we kept like piles and piles of vinyl. Um, It was just so, it just felt so amazing to be, be there. Um, and I, I was really sad when, when I had to go. So yeah. hmm. if we could go back a little bit to your, to your yeah. high school days before coming to Hofstra, you said you're recording music off the radio and this might be a dumb question, yeah. but are you recording things off a cassette? And the follow up question is what were you recording? Do you remember any of the bands or songs you were listening to? Yes. So I had this, um, this like light blue Sony, uh, radio and it had a CD, uh, input and it had, uh, it could play cassettes as well. So I was recording Mm. radio onto a cassette tape that then I (laughs) would listen (laughs) to. And I think the main thing I was recording was probably Blink-182. Um, Uh and which is like super ironic since they they ended up becoming like super mainstream. But at the time that was not the case. And that was really the only way I could hear them aside from every once in a while, their music video would be on, you know, MTV two. It had been like relegated to to the other channel. Um, that was the main, main band. And hilariously, a couple months ago, I saw them on tour. So I'm still in. Nice. Nice. Very good. Very good. Thank you for indulging. Yeah, of uh, course. With that. It, it becomes a, quite a skill. I, I, I know a lot of us did it at various points. You'd wait and wait and wait for those opening notes of a song and then you'd hit record and, and hope for the best. And uh, it becomes your main way of, of getting to know these bands. At least exactly. it was at the time. Yeah. The amount, the amount of times that my, my mom would like shout up to me for, from the kitchen because she had heard me like run across my room to hit record <laughs> so I could get the entire song. And um, I, I, I think she w- wondered what was going on with me. But for me, I was like, I need, I need to be able to listen to this on demand. Um, and the fact that we get to do that now with Spotify like still blows my mind. It's yeah. incredible. Yeah. So, uh, so you take this tour of the station and you start your freshman year. Was there an interview to get into the station? You mentioned a class. What do you remember from those times? Yeah. Um, so there was a class and there was a test and I remember doing an interview, but I think it was for the PD job. It's all a bit fuzzy right now. Um, Mm -hmm. but the, the class was serious. It was a, a serious, um, you know, amount of time. And I, it meant that everyone in there was serious about joining the station. 
Um, and that class, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure this comes up with everyone that you interview, at least everyone who was there during Bruce Avery's time, but his iconic, I like to sleep nights speech. It's definitely like WRA2 mm-hmm. canon at this point. That mm-hmm. really hit me. And I think partially because he delivered it with the intensity of a college coach in a movie. Mm-hmm. It was very, you know, like booming and dramatic and he was like very serious. Um, but also because I, I just remember feeling the glow of being part of something, of being part of a community. And I hadn't really felt that before, you know, outside of family or like, you know, the friends you have, you know, in elementary school and, and high school, this was really for me, you know, setting out on my own and doing my own thing. And I just remember that class being so monumental for me because it was the, the gateway to the station. Um, and, and I think Bruce specifically really made us feel like he was tr- trusting us, I guess, to, to keep the station going. It, this wasn't practice. It was the real thing. And I just remember feeling, you know, so good when I passed that test, especially the engineering test, which I was so anxious about. Um, but it just felt like, okay, I'm in. I'm in this, I'm, I'm in the club, I'm trusted. And now I have this, you know, I share in this big responsibility. And I, I took that really seriously. And when I look back at how seriously I took it, I'm kind of surprised just because I was so young. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, they were, they were very direct and real in that class. And I'm, I'm glad that it was held that way. Because, you know, you, you end up filtering out the people who are there just to kind of goof off. And so everyone who eventually passed and got in, you know, they, they, they really wanted to be a part of this and to get good at whether it was writing news or sound design or, you know, sports reporting, a a variety of things. So it felt good to be around all these people who were so deeply interested and, and invested in the same thing as me. Um, you talked about taking the the station and your activity there seriously and Bruce's opening speech and so on and so forth. Was, was he an intimidating presence? Was he just serious? Because when, you, when you're 18 and when you're not 18, you look at it differently. And I'm wondering what yeah. your impression was when you got there versus I would now. I say, okay, so I spent four years there. I would say for the first year, I was intimidated by Bruce. And then after that, I was not. Um, and, and that's not to, to say that I didn't respect him. I definitely did. But it was like that fear wore off where I was like, oh, okay, like I respect him. He's an authority fit figure here. But like, I can also drop into his office and be like, hey, what's going on, old man? You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. um, So I, I feel like that, that there was some development of a, of a friendly r- rapport there. And, you know, I think being able, being able to have access to someone like him and to John, um, and I think for a, a lot of others in the sports world, to, to Ed was so valuable. But it really was that kind of like parental relationship. Um, you know, when when he was mad, which didn't happen often, it was like it wasn't l- loud, it wasn't scary, but it was like he had your attention and you wanted to fix whatever it is that you had done wrong. Hmm. So he set high expectations and standards that first year. And then once you get to know him, it's a little more 
uh, it's a little less intimidating. I think so, yeah. Okay. So you get through that training class and you pass your class. Do you remember getting on the air the first time? I don't. I think mm-hmm. <laughs> I think I must have just completely bl- blacked out because I was so anxious about being mm-hmm. on the air. <laughs> so I don't rem- I don't remember w- what I said the first time. Like I remember my first show um and but the actual first time and and what I said I really don't remember. And I spent a lot of tr- a lot of time thinking about this and in preparation for this conversation with you. And I just remember being so nervous to be on air. Um, especially if I was alone and I still feel that way. Um, you know, I'm, I'm someone who thrives in, in conversation. And I, I remember the times that I could not convince someone to come in and sit with me or co-host with me that Mm -hmm. I would almost get a little like lost thinking about all of the, the, like when I spoke into the mic, all of the different places where my voice could be coming out of, you know, someone's car radio, someone's uh, radio in, in their kitchen or their their phone, like in, in their dorm. Um, and I think I was a bit overwhelmed by that, to be honest. <laughs> mm. um, I think the goal for me was not really to be on air, especially once I started doing it. I was like, I don't know that I get a lot of enjoyment out of this, but I want to like produce the show is how is, is, is how I ended up thinking about it. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of people have uh, different reasons for being nervous, especially in the early days of, of being on the air. Was there anything that that uh, piece of advice that someone gave you or something from your announcing class that helped you sort of work through that? Or was that just just always a worry in your mind? Um, I'm going to be honest. I'm an anxious person in general, so it was always a worry in my mm. mind. But what helped me get over it, because it's not like I didn't go on air. I mean, I continued to go on air. I ho- hosted a show for the entire time that I was there. Um, what helped me get over it was one convincing someone to come in and co-host with me, which I, I say I would, I probably had like a 50% success rate doing that. Um, Mm -hmm. and then for the other half of the time, you know, pretending someone was there, right. Pretending you were talking to a friend. I think I, I definitely took the more organic approach and not the announcer approach because that just felt a little silly to me. It sounds good. I think it sounds good when other people do it, um, but it's not my style. So I think that was the biggest piece of advice to one, remember to breathe um, mm-hmm. and two, mm-hmm. to just pretend like you're talking to a friend who is there. Um, mm. And and there w- were times where I would have a friend uh, on the phone. <laughs> so it worked. There you go. Um when you were on the air, did you use your own name? Did you have a nickname or an alias? I did not have an alias. I used my own name. So I'm, I'm okay. not, I wasn't fun like that. I always wanted one, but I couldn't think of one that I liked. And I was like, you know what? I think Veronica's fine. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I struggled with that idea as well. My friend wanted us to come up with aliases and I, I just, it just never occurred to me. So I want to get back to your first time on air or your early days on air. You said you started doing that, that overnight shift from 1am to 3am. Was that the first time you were on the air by yourself or was it another program earlier in the day? No, that was the first time I was on the air on my own. Wow. Um, and so I did that for, I, I think 
I think the assignments were by semester, if I remember correctly. So I did that for the first semester. And then um, I started doing the punk show. Um, Mm -hmm. And that was a a more, it was still a nighttime slot. I think it was 7 p.m. or maybe 8 p.m. So it was definitely more visible. And that made me even more anxious. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but I, I I got over it eventually. Yeah, there's a little bit of a comfort in that 1 a.m. shift. It's like, well, you know, how many people could be listening and what does it matter? And then right. you're into, you know, so-called prime time. So I can understand. I get it. I get the anxiety. <laughs> um, was there a point where you felt comfortable, like you could walk in the studio and uh, just jump right in? Was there an aha moment or was it just gradually you got comfortable doing it? I think gradually I got more comfortable doing it. I don't know that I ever reached full, fully comfortable. Um, again, I'm an anxious person in general, so I'm 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 always gonna have you know something in the, the back of my mind. I I did though feel comfortable at the station pretty quickly. Um, uh-huh. I felt comfortable in the studio, you know, behind the board. Um, that I, I picked up on that pretty quickly. It was really the like on mic stuff that. I got in my own head about. So you would come to the station and maybe spend time with people who were in your announcing class or uh, when do you feel like you got comfortable socially? Was there again a moment or was it just a gradual feeling of I belong here? Yeah. Um, I felt comfortable at the station within my first year, I think as, as a staffer, um, you know, when I reached the point where I could walk by the office and safely know at least half the people in there, if, if not more, mm-hmm. that that's when I was golden. And honestly, I think by the end of my time at Hofstra, I had spent way more hours at the station than anywhere else on campus, including my own dorm. Um, mm-hmm. It was my in-between point between classes or when I didn't have anything else to do, when I did have things to do, chances are it was things to do at the station. Um, so I was heavily, heavily involved. And, you know, during my time there, um, I overlapped with um, Ariel Lipson, and we, we were pretty good friends. And she was she was a member of the station, but was pursuing PR as a, as a career. And she was big in just like organizing events, um, and merch for us. She, she designed these t-shirts, um, that I think, you know, if not everyone, then most of the people during my time there had, had one of these t-shirts. She designed this like amazing headphone, uh, design. I think it was before a softball game or something, us against the, the TV kids, Mm-hmm. Um, and so like those pro- projects too, even though they weren't official, like you're writing for the news or you're part of the show, these kind of s- side projects is like, that's where I spent a lot of my time. Um, and in the, the, the music rooms, obviously. Hmm. Um, who else was around at the time that made you feel comfortable at the station or, or made you look forward to being there? <sighs> yeah, I think I spent a lot of time with Chris Ortiz, Justin Goldstein, <sighs> Mitch Merman, who I'm still close friends with to this very day, um, we we chat all the time, and I'm he he's great. I think he he became he and I became close like towards towards like the second half of our time at Hofstra, um, and it, it was always funny 
talking to him and still is because he had such a different experience from mine. He, he was all in on sports and that was just like not a world that I was in. Um, mm -hmm. And so it really opened my eyes to how, you know, people pursuing the different, you know, styles of radio basically at the station could have totally different experiences. Um, so I spent a lot, lot of time with him, um, Ariel, as I mentioned before, uh, and I think those were my main people who I was hanging out with a lot outside of the station. Um, when I was there, I overlapped with Patty Kreiser, Mike Leslie, um, John Santucci was also there at the same time as me. Um, I'm bl blanking. <laughs> It was a lot of people. <laughs> understood, understood. Um, a lot of people who did uh, more time in the sports department or the news department talk about uh, working one-on-one -on -one with Ed or or maybe working more with John. But you said you were more focused on the on the music aspect. Were there any mentors at the station to sort of guide you along that way, or was it more free reign? You know, figure it out and and make it your own. Yeah, I think it was more of a free reign slash John situation, um, except when I would talk with John, it was very like tactical and strategic about like how to how to be able to translate what I was doing at the station and, and what I was doing at my like various internships. I had an absurd amount of internships, um, mm. how to translate all of that into any job at a radio station. Um because he was very much about if you can do if you can, you know, if you can pick all the music, then you can do all this other stuff. Um, it's all the the same, like the process is the same and the the brain you need and the creative energy is the same. Um, mm. So I, I think like in terms of me mentorship, he was definitely the, the go to. You mentioned earlier the interest in, in radio and mass media. Was radio your major or yes. what were you doing study-wise? Yes. So my my major, I think, officially was audio radio production. And so I took a lot of production classes. Um, and I had a double minor, I think. You had to pick a liberal arts minor while I was there. I don't know if that's, if that's the case. So I picked sociology and then I had enough credits to double minor. And so my other okay. minor was journalism because while I was at the station, I really, you know, even though I wasn't super involved in the news side of things, I did take an interest in journalism and I started taking those classes um, and I was really, really, really enjoying them. Um, so it was, it was kind of n nice to be able to do that as my m minor while I was, you know, l learning all of the production work um, as my main class load, I guess. Um, mm -hmm. And what, what I loved about those classes is that they were so small. And so you really got, um, you re really got direct attention, I think, because not a lot of kids were, <laughs> were majoring mm -hmm. in radio. Again, my, my parents were confused, um, but in, in general, <laughs> pretty supportive. Um, and I got to learn a lot. I mean, it wasn't just about, you know, it wasn't just about r radio as a a medium it was like how do we tell stories uh in audio um and how do we script for, for audio and uh there was a lot of sound design too which i thought was so fun um ironically i didn't end up doing any of that pro professionally <laughs> but it was fun at the time 
Um, well, one of the reasons I asked about that is, and you mentioned your internships, is that uh, for different eras, you know, access to the rest of the communication school or department, uh, whatever it was at the time, was different. And it seems like you had a lot of opportunities, whether it was uh, in the classroom or at the radio station or just in Dempster generally, that there was always a lot going on and a lot of uh, opportunity to make those connections. Oh, oh, yeah. There was a lot of opportunity and, you know, some of it was in class and the classes were super helpful. But I, I've always said this, I learned way more at the station than I did in any class at Hofstra. And that's not to knock the Hofstra education, mm-hmm. but it's just, you know, there was so much time put in at the station. Um, and, you know, when you're like, when you're sitting with a colleague or with uh, with John or with, with Bruce, like w- working on a piece and, and having someone give you live feedback, um, it, it, there, there just isn't anything that comes close to that in terms of education or experience. So that was incredible. Hmm. I think you kind of alluded to this earlier that, you know, you had the radio station in mind when you came to Hofstra. And obviously these experiences and these relationships have meant a great deal to you. But I'm wondering if you can go back to your mindset at 18 years old as you're walking in to the station or getting onto campus. At that moment, what did you hope Hofstra Radio would mean for you and what did it become? Yeah, WRHU felt really special and important in the moment. And when I look back at it, it's really nice to see that it really was special and important in my life. Like that, that feeling doesn't change. I think oftentimes, you know, how you feel in the moment about something and how you feel when you look back at it 10, 15 years after the fact, a lot of times it's different. Um, but for this, for me, it's not. Um, again, I, I learned more there than I did in any class at Hofstra. Um, I learned, I just, I, I, I'm not just talking about producing things or running the boards or, you know, producing shows, et cetera. I'm talking about learning how to be a leader, learning how to be a manager, again, how to manage your peers or people who are more senior than you. I, that, that is an incredibly valuable life skill. And I think it really, really, really helped me in my career. And so it was special then because I felt like I was part of something because I met all these cool friends who liked the same things as me because I was part of this community. Um, and, and it's special to me now for all of those reasons, but also because of all of the things that I learned there. Um, and I think that it would have taken me a while to to learn how to be a leader and to learn how to be a manager um, and to be able to, uh, you know, m- manage up and down because mm-hmm. that's also something that you don't, you know, they don't really tell you about getting a quote unquote real job. You got to manage your boss sometimes. Um, <laughs> and and I, I think that, I think that that really came into play there, like ma- managing up, managing across uh, and managing down. Um and I, I, like, I really can't thank them enough. And when I say them, I mean like everyone, everyone who was there while, while I was there, whether we were friends, whether we were uh, just passing acquaintances, whether we didn't get along. Um, I think that all of those relationships were super, super important 
to me, as I developed into an adult, as I developed into, you know, a professional, um, because I had to learn how to, how to communicate, um, and how to communicate effectively and how to communicate when you didn't agree, because that, that wasn't something that I was good at. And I think a lot of people don't really learn that until they're deep into whatever career they end up Mm -hmm. choosing. Mm -hmm. And I think for, for all of us to be able to, to get kind of thrown into that environment at, at a young age was super, super helpful. Um, I'm assuming that everyone else took that away (laughs) as well. Um, because I think it would be hard not to, but, um, I'm really, really grateful for the, the time that I spent there. And I'm, you know, it's funny because I, I remember when I got my first job in radio, like my first full-time job. And I was like, this isn't like WRHU at all in a bad way. You know, I was like commercial radio is not fun. Um, And it was a different beast and it made me even, even more appreciate uh, my, my time there. Cause it's so, it's such a special place. Um, And it, it was to me at the time, I hope it still is um, for the, the students that are there currently but you know, when I when I look back and think about it, you know, it's it's all good good thoughts. So, hmm. well, this has been great. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your stories. I get the feeling you have more stories, <laughs> <laughs> and and I have more questions. So yeah. hopefully, we can do this again sometime. Thank yeah, you so much. Yeah, of course. Okay. Th- thank you.